Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to The Progress Theory, where we discuss scientific principles to optimize human performance. I did it. I completed my first half iron. It was certainly an experience as it is still a new sport to me and I'm still quite unaccustomed to the high volumes of training associated with this length of event, but I felt like I held my own. I learned so much about myself while doing it and I'm looking forward to see what the future brings on this new path to becoming more of a hybrid style of training. So I thought it would be best to do another performance review episode to reflect on the event the training that preceded it, and briefly touch on where my goals will be set next. So let's give a recap of the event. It was the gauntlet race held by Castle Triathlon, which is a half iron distance. So that's a 1.9k swim, a 90k bike, and a half marathon run. So it's about 21.1 kilometers. I was particularly nervous about the bike because I feel that is my weakest section and takes up most of the time. However, I surprised myself in that section and I managed to complete the whole race in 7 hours, 29 minutes and 15 seconds. To be honest, I, as this was my first ever half iron, I was happy with anything under 8 hours. So beating that expectation by roughly 30 minutes is a great personal result and certainly something to build on. So I just wanted to review each section of the race. So first of all, the swim. What I wanted really was a 1.9k swim in under 45 minutes. And that's because quite a while back, I did a 1.9k swim on its own uh, and I got 45 minutes. So this would in turn be a new PB. <laughs> now, this is quite actually quite funny. Um, I actually did it in 47 minutes and 09. Now you must think, oh, that's you know you've you've missed your PB by about two minutes. And I remember getting out of the water and looking at my watch and seeing forty-seven, and being really, really disappointed. However, on reflection, um, I actually did quite well in terms of swimming pace. So my pace was around two minutes zero two per kilometer, which, if I actually maintained that pace for one point nine kilometers, I would have got a one point nine k swim of around. 40 minutes, which would have smashed my expectations, smashed my PB. The issue is I actually did 2,300 and about 30 meters. So I pretty much did an extra 400 meters of swimming. No wonder it took, it felt like it took so long. And that was because I was so poor at spotting, I couldn't really see where I was going. And I was actually zigzagging my way through the course. And by doing that, I actually increased the amount of distance I performed in the swim. So that wasn't quite good. My excuse is, yes, my spotting needs work when it comes to open water swimming. Uh, Also, my goggles, well, as we were about to get into the water, 
the heavens opened and literally it just poured and suddenly my goggles completely steamed up and I couldn't see a thing. My goggles were on the verge of needing replacing. I thought they were good enough and then uh, when I was on the actual event, I couldn't really see too much. I only could see things in my very near periphery. So I did my best to try and follow people that I knew were going past me and I had a rough idea of where I was heading to. But obviously, a mix between that, I was zigzagging my way through the course. So in turn, I did over 400 metres extra. However, I need to take some positives from that. Like maintaining a 2 minute 02 pace is really quite good. And that would have doubled my PB 1K time, which I think is really cool. So my 1K time in the, in the pool is around 19 minutes and 57 seconds. So having a pace like that would have mean I would have been around that time, but over two kilometres instead of one. So I'm actually really quite happy with with the result despite it not really happening on the day so in turn my swimming has actually really improved and I associate that with yes being in the pool more and practicing but what I did I was I focused on a few particular cues uh, for my wife my wife is a swimming teacher so she gave me a few cues on my front core my freestyle and really I just used all the opportunities in the pool just to practice working on those particular cues Going forward, I think I'm now at a point where I have a relatively good swimming base level, which I need to now improve on. So first thing to do is start adding in particular drills, particularly on my legs to make sure that they are uh, adding to the stroke much more effectively. But in terms of you've only got eight weeks leading up to a particular event, just focusing on two or three key things when in the pool actually was really beneficial to me. The second portion obviously was the bike and I completed the bike in four hours and 11 minutes and three seconds, which is around a 21.8 kilometer per hour pace. Now, what I really wanted was a 22.5 kilometer per hour pace, um, but really I was happy with anything that's over 20 kilometers per hour pace. It wasn't quite what I wanted. It was kind of a best case scenario that, but I was actually still happy. One thing that's really quite improved over the time on the bike is my position, how I feel on the bike. Originally, me being on the bike just felt uncomfortable. It was quite a particular problem with my low back. It starts stiffening up and my left foot would often go quite numb. Position is still a problem, but I'm tolerating the position much more, much longer. So the position wasn't really a problem until around 60 kilometers and then my back really started to be uh, started seizing up and as you can imagine 90 kilometers without getting off the bike at all it is quite a lot what was also quite good from this particular 90 kilometers was my ability to actually gear change at the right times making sure that I was trying to maintain that cadence with with the bike in turn, I was transitioning from hill work to downhill onto the flats much better just because I was more familiar with the skill of working with the bike. And obviously, going forward, I need more practice at that and I need to work on the position so I can allow my body and the tissues of my body to be more tolerant of that particular position. Uh, I definitely probably will do another, maybe another performance review focusing on my hip because I think it's my hip that is the problem. We still don't fully know what is the key issue. It's definitely something around the, you know, the joint itself. We're trying to think, is it capsular? Is it around the hip? We're, we're still trying to determine that. But other than that, what it's like an impingement on the front and inside of it. So that's the anterior medial side of the, of the hip. 
and that's causing a little bit of a pinch. So my body will do whatever it can to try and avoid that. Now, when you're in a in a bike position, like you 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 know you're you're stuck in the position where your pelvis is forward, your knees are straight in front of you, and the, the I always try and see it. It's quite crude describing it this way, but there's almost like uh, if you look at yourself from a bird's eye view, you'd have your pelvis and then your femur going forward, and there'll be like a ninety degree angle between the two. Now, because right in the middle of that 90 degree angle is is the impingement part is the position that my <laughs> hip doesn't seem to like to get into my body will do whatever it can to try and avoid that so strategies it often uses is sometimes pulling the knee out to the side that will open up that gap or it would start moving around the um the pelvis itself uh, so either have it a bit further back on the opposite side or it will start to hitch so you're getting all that movement on the other side and then that's the side of the back that starts to really start to seize up so i'd like to think if i start improving the issue around my hip it'll be more comfortable to get into the right positions and then other parts of the body won't start seizing up or get uncomfortable because they're trying to compensate for the issue at my at my hip that's my left hip so and I describing that as a bit difficult when it comes to a podcast, but hopefully I've described it in a way that you can kind of envision what's happening. Last part of the race is the run, and I completed the run in two hours, 18 minutes and 45 seconds. Now, once we got there, there was no real expectations with the run. Originally, I wanted to see if I could beat or at least equal my half marathon time, which was around two hours. I mean, that's not an exceptional time, but I wanted to see if I could actually maintain that despite everything that had gone preceded it. However, when we got there, like it was so boggy. It was a proper trail run with hills, mud, everything. It was impossible to try and maintain some kind of pace. So really it was just a way of just, okay, we've got this run. Let's just try and uh, get through it and remain comfortable through the whole race. Now I felt all right for around 12K. Aside from the fact that hills were a bit of a problem because my my back was still seizing up from the bike. So whenever I got to the hills, I could really feel my back again. But I did feel okay for the first 12 kilometers. However, as the run went on, especially as I went post 16 kilometers, my hips really started to hurt as well as my lower back seizing up and I was kind of reverted back to a shuffle. So I really sort of went from feeling quite comfortable for the first 12k to all of a sudden actually this is quite painful and altering my stride and it was much slower. But I tried to maintain some form of uh, knee forward, good running stride, just to make sure that I kept one foot in front of the other. I didn't want to compensate too much to the point where like, I could have placed too much stress on certain parts of the body leading to a particular injury. Now, my strategy could have been better on the run. I think uh, a lot of people were starting to walk and I really didn't want to walk. I didn't want to slow down at all. Uh, However, what people were doing was they would walk the hill and then they'll be much faster on the straight and downhill where I was a bit more consistent with my pace, but that pace had slowed down quite a bit. So I think my strategy could have been a little bit better there, but I wanted to make sure that I didn't stop running. I I didn't want to didn't want to walk I didn't want to appear to be slowing down to a point where I was losing a bit of time I wanted to be consistent that is the nature of more practice in these type of events so that's kind of how the event went I just wanted to reflect a little bit more on what I think were the key things which I think went well at that event and also the training that led up to that particular event first of all I'd like to think my nutrition 
really worked well. There wasn't one point when I felt like I was starting to bonk or uh, started to feel really fatigued because I lacked energy sources. I think my nutrition, particularly on the bike, I always had either electrolytes or some form of sugar available to me at all times, particularly on the bike. So, for example, I got off the swim. As soon as I got to the uh, transition stage, I had half a bottle of flat, full-fat Coke, and I had a gel, and then I got straight on the bike, and then I had two bottles with me on the bike. One was a my protein electrolyte sugary drink and the other one was water but it had four to five gels put into it i also had a little bag attached to the bike which was full of sweets which i recommend anytime anyone goes on a bike out for a long run always have sweets in that bag that was amazing so really my aim was throughout the bike consume them every half hour and then by the time i reached the end of the bike just finish off what i had left and then when it came to the run I had some cookies in the transition period. I only actually managed to have one. I had still had quite a bit of the electrolyte drink left. So I drank all of that. I uh, didn't feel like I had too much room left to then eat a load of cookies. So I just had the one because I didn't know what was going to be available on the run. I knew they had stations available, but I didn't want to rely on that. I wanted to make sure that I had enough energy in me at the start of the run that could last me at least half a marathon. Now, fair play to Castle Triathlon, there were actually loads of stations constantly available with either sweets, electrolyte drinks, water or Coke. So there was no excuse to not replenish your energy stores throughout the, the race. There was loads of stations. So real fair play to Castle Tri and that definitely helped with the nutritional side of the race. With the swim, like the key thing I wanted to focus on was with the training. Like I felt my swimming went really well. I really improved. That was one of the key areas that I improved a lot. And I do associate that with just focusing on key things. When it comes to coaching, people often think every time you have a new session, you've got to work on something new, work on something new. But really, you know, with each session, you've only got, what, tops an hour or it depends on the session, but you haven't got much time in the grand scheme of things to work on a particular cue. You're not going to suddenly get it straight away like certain cues take a while to master so having the space of eight weeks just to really focus on key cues really helped me improve my freestyle moving away from the drills I think you know not adding drills actually helped me because it didn't take up some time when I could be just focusing on these particular cues now these cues were focused around how I kicked my legs and how I was reaching my arms forward in the in the pull but yeah Eight weeks of just focusing on that really improved. It gave me time just to get better at the things, I, the immediate things I needed to get better at. Bike, one thing I thought really had a big impact was doing the race course the week before. Like I was aware when the hills were, when the flats were, I was able to mentally picture when I was going to push, when I was going to relax, when I was actually going to uh, refuel, I had a better idea of what to expect and that really helped me with knowing how to push at certain times with the bike and made you feel so much more confident. It really made a big difference. So I recommend anyone, if you have that option, like I was very lucky because obviously my wife and I lived quite near where the event was taking place. But if you have that ability to get there and do a recce and see what the course is like, definitely do it. 
I'd also recommend doing training runs on the bike, which are worse than the actual event itself. So my wife and I did a particular session where we found a 25 kilometer loop around Queen Elizabeth Park in Hampshire, which we were doing laps of. And it consisted of the worst hill in the world. Well, it felt like it anyway at the time. And we managed to do it on a day where we weren't really prepared for it, to be honest, because it was really quite hot. That was such a huge learning curve because one, it made sure that we woke us up to the fact we needed to prepare a little bit better, especially when it comes to hydration and all of that sort of thing. But it also, there's an element of whenever I go into sort of like a, a biking situation and I'm aware of what's going to happen, I'm like, well, that's not going to be too bad because it's never as bad as that particular training session. It's never as bad at that as that hill. So all of a sudden, it makes my perception of the actual race event much better. You have much more confidence going in. It means you go into it with more intent. You're not holding back. And half the time, holding back and having that fear of something can actually affect your performance more. Perception is really quite key. So I think, you know, really going for certain training runs, which you know are going to be more intense or worse than your actual competition can actually have a good mental improvement. In terms of programming, I really liked the way I structured the volume to increase to a point where you had that peak volume around weeks five and six. It was deliberately set up so you'd have like a, a feeling or, or you got to a point of overreaching by the end of week six. And then as you start to sort of deload, the volume starts to go down. The intensity doesn't because you do a lot of stuff at race pace, but the volume comes down. You start to recover and it really helps you get into a position where you're in a better position for the event itself. At that point at the end of week six, there was a swim session where I felt like I was swimming through treacle. And at the time I was like, Oh, I know I'm supposed to not feel my 100% here because I've just gone through this two-week phase of huge amounts of volume. But I knew that come two weeks after that, I was going to be in a better position. And it really, really did help. So the appropriate planning over an eight-week program, especially have a particular time when you know it's going to be the hardest point of that training program, Make sure it's at a point where you know you can deload after it because once you deload, you're going to be in a better position. The fatigue wears off and your preparedness is going to be improved, ready for the event. And then finally, one of the key things I particularly liked was my ability to auto-regulate the runs during the program. Now, my Soleus has been previously injured and has a tendency to ping again if I don't train or watch it appropriately. Uh, and what was happening is during the faster runs, my Soleus had a tendency to go again. So I deliberately had to change or alter my sessions just to make sure that my, you know, I didn't injure it because if I injured it, that means it's going to take me two to three weeks to recover from it before I'm back to sort of a level where I can run on it again. You know, I don't have that amount of time. I need to be running more consistently in preparation for this particular event. So what I was doing, I was making, I was certainly becoming more aware as to what speeds would trigger that particular injury. So anything around uh, four minute, 30 kilometers or f even four minute, 50 kilometers, anything under five minute kilometers, my car or my Soleus would start to go. So I tried to make sure that I was 
doing my runs, whether it be interval training or it would be my longer, slower runs, underneath that particular threshold. Now, this was a bit gutting, especially towards the end of the training program, because I'd be doing my interval sessions and they would just feel really easy. And it was gutting because I really wanted to push myself. My Originally, I had programmed for ratings of perceived exertion of around eight. So I really wanted to push myself during these intervals. However, if I knew I pushed myself above that particular threshold, I would get injured again. And that's not what I wanted to do. So I'm quite impressed with myself that I managed to sort of like withhold myself, but I knew it was the best option. What is good though, is that I, at least with these intervals, I could push to around five, 10 or five, five minute kilometers. And they felt so easy. Now they felt so much easier towards the end of the eight weeks than they did at the beginning of the eight weeks. And I know because of that, I had actually improved at my running. So even though I wasn't in a position where I could push even more, even though I felt cardiovascularly I could have, I couldn't because of my soleus, but at least I know I had improved my running because of how running at a particular speed felt. And sometimes that's the best way of actually really knowing how much you've improved is how performing at a sub-maximal intensity feels. So what could have been improved? First of all, around the weekend of week three, I had a uh, training walk for an event which we were originally doing in August called ITERA. It's an adventure race. It's a five-day event where you've got to cover around 600 kilometers within five days. So there's a lot of trekking, mountain biking, that sort of thing. So Within this, we had a training walk for that. We thought, okay, let's we'll put it in there and hopefully it shouldn't disrupt the training for the half iron too much because, you know, both are more endurance type events. However, long walks are so much different than long runs. And when I mean long walks, I'm talking 12 to 16 hours. It's a completely different sport. It places completely different demands on the body. Um, Despite that we knew that beforehand, you really didn't appreciate it until you had done it. We were supposed to do that walk and follow it with an 80k mountain bike. So we would have got some bike in despite being on a different type of bike. However, because of logistics and the fact that we went a bit off course with this walk meant that we couldn't actually do the bike so we had a weekend where we needed time on the bike but we missed it and because of that it was an element of like ah, that is good opportune time to actually practice the skills we needed for the half iron normally if we had a lot longer it probably wouldn't have been that much of a problem however because we only had eight weeks that long time on the bike, especially when you know you're working during the week, the only times you have to do a long bike sessions on a weekend, uh, you know that was really quite a missed opportunity. And there was a few other times where we had to make changes where we weren't able to get outside on the bike, so we sort of replaced them with what bike. Now, what bike is great for developing, especially some cardiovascular and physiological adaptations in terms of power outputs and work on a bike. But there's a difference between what bike practice and being on the bike outside. And as a, from a skills perspective, we really need, to, really need to spend time outside on the bike. Uh, so probably could have got more time outside on the bike, but it was just one of those things. You're always trying to auto-regulate your program because, you know, we lead busy lives, we have jobs, but that was just one reflection that you could have done more time outside on the bike. Not one of those things where you can go back and, uh, I should have done that, should have done that, should have done that. They were changed for logistical reasons. Couldn't really change that. But still, it's something to take into account. 
other than that, to be honest, I wouldn't have changed anything. I, my weight training my supported my strength and was more specific to running, in my case, trying to be more springy. And by the final four weeks, I was only doing what was necessary. No additional fluff that could fatigue me and my or affect my swims, my cycles and my run sessions. So that worked well as I felt good going into the event. And I think using RPE to track the majority of my progression week to week allowed me to see how I was progressing. For example, certain speeds by the end of the program had a reduced RPE associated with them, and you know, I found them easier. So, for example, the uh, what I just talked about earlier, my running, me running at five-minute kilometer pace felt considerably easier by the end of the program. So I think it was a really good way of seeing the progression. Ultimately, I think this was the optimal beginner's program. You know, it was uber easy and, and it particularly pushed me to ensure I adapted and I improved, but it was also easy to auto-regulate when necessary. As a lot of what was governing the session was subjective, i.e. like the use of the rating of perceived exertion. If you want to check out my program, I'd definitely recommend checking out my Instagram posts uh, at the account at Dr. Phil Price. So you can see what training I did each week. And hopefully this will give you some ideas for when planning your own training. If you're going for a particular long distance event or something similar. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed the performance review for the progress theory. My next challenge will be a little heavier. I'm going to continue with the endurance work, but I'm going to start pushing the heavy stuff. And I'll release more information when I next have it. In the meantime, please make sure that you follow us on Instagram and subscribe to The Progress Theory on YouTube and your podcast app of choice. It would be amazing if you could leave us a review. We're always looking to improve the podcast and to make sure that our listeners are getting content that they can use to help with their own training. We will see you in the next episode.